Hey, and welcome to Transform Your Workplace. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. And in today's episode, it's our first episode with the new title, Transform Your Workplace. I'm really excited about our name change. I'm getting We're getting a lot of great feedback from people about how they think that the name change was probably well overdue and uh, it, the, the title now reflects the content much better than before. So thank you for, for all you supporting. Hopefully it's not too confusing with the rebrand. I was reluctant to do it for so long, but I think uh, it makes a lot of sense. Today's episode, we're going to start off with a bang. This is a topic that I'm really excited about. I think regardless of what position you're in, you're going to get a lot of value from this subject. I have Cameron Harold on. He is the author of Meetings Suck, turning one of the most loathed elements of business into one of the most valuable. I'm one of those people that, and people I work with know me pretty well uh, with meetings, I'm pretty rigid, typically because you know most meetings we go to, whether it's inside of our office or outside of it, they tend not to start on time, they end late, they have no agenda whatsoever. And I think for most people, they just never they've never been trained on how to run meetings effectively. And Cameron really talks about, hey, meetings don't have to suck. They're, they could be really effective and they're really necessary in any organization. And here's how we can make them effective. So I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. I had a lot of fun with Cameron. He was, he's a, a renowned author, speaker, and uh, really excited to, to have him on the podcast. So let me know what you think about the podcast. Uh, reach out to me on Instagram or LinkedIn or Twitter, any of those places. And I'd love to have a conversation with you about the podcast. And remember to fill out the survey. We always are offering, you can enter in for a book drawing for that. In fact, I'll give away Cameron's book for uh, two people that fill out a survey or give us an Apple podcast review. Enjoy the episode today. Hey, Cameron, it's great to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it. We're going to talk about meetings today. And I want to ask you, uh, it's sort of with a laugh and a chuckle on my side, but why do people hate meetings so much? Because I'm, I'm one of those people. <laughs> you, know, you know what it is? I think people hate it because they've never really actually been trained on how to do it, how to either run them or show up. It'd be kind of like sending your kid off to play Little League Baseball, right? If we were to send our kid off to play Little League and we didn't teach them how to hold the bat or how to catch a ball or how to throw the ball, they'd be very awkward. They'd probably really not enjoy the process very much. And they'd probably come home from their first few days of baseball saying baseball sucks. Well, the reality is baseball doesn't suck. They just happen to suck at baseball. And I think that's really why people hate meetings is no one's really been trained on how to run them and nobody's really ever been trained on how to show up and participate in them. So if you look at the fundamentals, which you're, you, you alluded to with the baseball analogy, but what's wrong with the way we run meetings? Like what f fundamental pieces do people need to, to learn about in order to run them effectively the way you're describing in the book? Yeah, I think that's what it really is, is what are the fundamental pieces? Because if people understood the, the basics on how to run them and the basics on how to show up and participate, they'd really love them. So here, let me give you kind of the core basics on how to run a highly effective meeting. Every meeting has to have a clear purpose. Just the one sentence, why are we here? Every meeting has to have a maximum of three outputs. So the three big things you're going to get done in the meeting. And if you need to cover more than three things, book a separate meeting because in all likelihood, 
the people that are there for the first two or three parts don't really need to be there for parts four and five. Every meeting has to have an agenda, right? And just allow people to opt out of the meeting saying no agenda, no agenda, right? If they don't know what we're covering, in what order we're covering it, and how many minutes we're going to spend on each agenda item, don't accept to go to the meeting. Just go back and say, I'm tentative until I know what the agenda is, and that forces the rigor. Next one is every meeting has to start on time. And the reason is it, it shows respect to everybody else. It shows that we actually are honoring our commitments, respecting the individuals that are there, um, and we're going to stay really tight on the agenda. So it sets a really good kind of ground rule to work from. So treat every meeting like an Olympic race that you would never start an Olympic swim race and show up five minutes early, coming kind of running out on the swim deck saying, sorry, I'm late, right? You'd be there early. Out of those core pieces that you said uh, to run an effective meeting, do you find that those are the mistakes that people keep making over and over again? Those are certainly some of them, yeah. I mean, I, I go into probably about eight or 10 core tenants that I would say would give you a very highly effective meeting that's really easy for anyone to run. But the, the purpose, outcome, and agenda are key. Starting on time is key. Next one that I really like starting with is, is finish every meeting five minutes prior to the scheduled ending time. I love that. So, yeah, that's good. Yeah, just finish it five minutes early. It's like if you're going to be there from nine until 10, finish at 9.55. And that gives everybody time to walk down the hall, talk to their assistant, get a cup of coffee, go to the bathroom and sit down and start their phone call or start their meeting exactly on time again. Right. So you build in that natural buffer by finishing early. I read a lot of books, business books, and I listen to a lot of podcasts. And I hear quite frequently that people just need to remove meetings from the calendar and, and open up space. And, you know, all I agree with that, uh, reading your book was kind of enlightening, because it sounds like you're, you're not necessarily saying that we need to eliminate all meetings. Not but you're all. saying we need to run effective meetings, because we will have better output. People will be more purpose-driven and, and all those. They'll be more aligned, I think, at the end of the day. Is that really what you're saying is not eliminate meetings altogether, but just run them better? Yeah. The reality is you can't eliminate meetings. So meetings are any time you have two or more people meeting either face-to-face, -face, over video, or on the phone to discuss something to move the business or their, their projects forward, right? So, so it has to happen. In fact, I, I sent a note to Elon Musk about um, a month ago. Elon went public and said something about... He's telling his employees to walk out of shitty meetings. And I sent him a note. I'm like, dude, you're not fixing the root problem. I mean, I've known Elon since January of 95. I was a reference for him in his first round of funding for Zip2. And his brother, Kimball, used to work for me at College Pro Painters in 93. So I sent him a note and I said, look, you can't tell people to walk out of bad meetings. You have to fix the root cause of the meetings in the first place so they don't have to walk out of them. If you weren't having bad meetings, you wouldn't be telling people to leave. So fix the meetings. And that's really what this comes down to is most people, it dawns on them, like, I've never trained people how to run them. And I've certainly never trained people how to show up and attend and participate in them. And you think about it, the cost of, of, of attending meetings, one person spends roughly one hour a day in meetings or on phone calls. That means they're spending one eighth of their time or 12% of your company payroll is being spent doing something they have no training at. So I, I wrote meetings suck as a way to spend 15 bucks to train somebody on what they're probably spending $10,000 a year doing. Yeah, like I actually created a screenshot of a of, uh, passage in your book that I thought was just fascinating, just honing in on, on the cost of a, of a meeting and, and poorly run one at that. So you said, if you have, let's say 10 employees, each making $70,000 a year, 35 bucks an hour, in other words, that's 350 bucks for a one hour meeting. So you're basically saying meeting costs to have everybody in that room is about 500 
to thousand dollars an hour just to have those people in the room. And you're basically saying if they're run poorly, it's a, it's a waste of, of it's a waste of money. That's crazy right. to me. In this, you're reading this book, you think, oh, why why aren't we training our people to run meetings better? Do you know the answer to that? Why why is this happening? I think yeah, I think what it comes down to is companies have got it backwards. So if you go back to Simon Sinek's whole idea of the the, the why how what, and I've known Simon since 2003. We met six years before he did his TED talk. He used to work for us. He was on our board at one eight hundred junk. Um, Simon talks about, about starting with the why and then going out to the how and then going out to the what. Well, most companies don't train their employees on why we do what we do. We don't train them on our core purpose, our history, our core values, our BHAG, our vivid vision. We don't talk about the lore and the stories of how we got to where we are, right? So they don't even know why we exist. And then we don't train them on how to do their jobs. We don't train them on time management, problem solving, people management, delegation, coaching, meeting management. Um, interviewing. You know, most managers have never been trained on how to do interviews, and yet they're interviewing and hiring people all the time. But what we end up training people on is how to do their job. So we end up giving them the technical skills. We train them on how to use our software or how to work on the machine or how to set up, you know, some digital strategy. But we don't teach them on kind of how we actually manage the business. We're teaching them on the what we're doing instead. So we've kind of got it backwards. When we get to like the technical pieces of running a meeting, I'm really curious, like if you look at all the players in, in a, any given meeting, should a senior person be running the meeting? Like does hierarchy actually matter in, in meetings? No. It doesn't. It actually, okay. No, it really doesn't. If you have the right process in place and you teach everybody, anyone can actually run a meeting. It's a very simple system. And look, I'm the dumb kid, right? Like I was a kid who got 63% in high school, went to the only university that accepted me, got 62% there. I learned, all, I learned all the shortcuts and the cheat sheets on how to do everything simply. So the systems in Meeting Suck are very simple systems that are being executed globally now by companies on how to run highly effective meetings. And you don't need an MBA to figure this out. So if you teach your employees how to run them, you could have a junior payroll clerk could run a finance meeting very effectively because it's following the same system, controlling the group, sticking to the agenda, having a parking lot, right? It's all simple stuff. It seems to me like it would make sense to have that person who's leading the meeting defined in advance. Is right? Is that what you kind of, you recommend doing? Yeah. What I try to do is have three roles being laid out at the, the start of the meeting. So you have a moderator, a timekeeper, and a parking lot. So the moderator just makes sure that we stay on track with the agenda. And if anybody's bringing up something that is great, but not on the agenda, we say, let's put it on the parking lot until later and you guys can either talk about it offline or we can reconvene. So then the parking lot person is a person that just keeps note of the stuff to talk about later. And the timekeeper makes sure that we just stick onto the agenda and we hit each agenda, you know, item by item, how many minutes on each item. If we're going to cover seven things, item one might be 12 minutes, item two might be six minutes, item four might be five minutes. And you try to stick roughly to that time so that you, you finish up five minutes early. Again, the, re how the reason that everything goes over is it's basically Parkinson's law, right? Work expands to fill the space that we give it. So if you don't give it a container, of course your chatter is going to go on forever because you haven't contained it. There's been so many meetings I've been invited to where an agenda is never even sent out in advance. So I, I could tell that there's benefits from it. And I, I do want you to, to talk about that, but what should be included in the agenda first? And then what do you hope is an outcome of that agenda being sent out in advance? Yeah, so the agenda is what are we covering? In what order are we covering it? How many minutes are we going to spend on each item? 
And what style of communication will be used on each item? So will it be either top-down or bottom-up info sharing, one person sharing information? Will it be laterally, kind of people sharing with each other, that's creative discussion? Or will it be a consensus decision where we're going to talk, we're going to share, we're going to then make a decision as a group, and when we walk out of the room, we have consensus. People need to know for each agenda item what style of communication is being shared. That's the agenda. That's all you really need to do is tell people what we're covering in what order, how many minutes on each, and what style is being used. And then people know whether they should show up for the whole meeting, if they can show up for just part of the meeting, or if they look at it and go, hey, you know what? I saw the agenda. I don't really need to be there. I have other work that's probably higher impact or higher priority me for being involved in, and we should celebrate that. We should actually celebrate when people opt out of the meeting because they have a higher ROI on their time working on some other area of the business. Yeah, I thought that I thought that was an interesting point you were making about like when you send an agenda in advance, it does give people an opportunity to opt out because if it's not relevant to them, then like why go or why waste your time if like only five minutes of an hour long meeting is part of the agenda? What do you recommend people do in terms of following up to some sort of invitation with an agenda? Like how do they communicate like, hey, this isn't this meeting is probably not one I'm going to go to or like how do you decline or what strategy do you? do you take there? It's, it's one of the reasons why I really want every employee at every company to read the book, right? So if you're running a company, you know, Bob's a widget making company, Bob should have every employee read the book meeting sucks. So they all understand that opting out of the meeting isn't being dismissive. It's not being rude. It's, it's actually what we are, what we're searching for. What we're really searching for is the critical few people to meet about a very tight agenda to get through the complete outcomes that we're looking for and then everybody get back to work and do their other work. We're not looking for that kumbaya group hug where everybody just shows up and sits in the room. The reason most people are frustrated with meetings is they don't want to be there in the first place. But managers haven't learned how to hold meetings without feeling like we have to invite everybody and then everybody hasn't learned how to opt out of them. So this book helps people to understand that. Let's talk about conflict because you've got some interesting points about conflict in the book. Should there be a balance between conflict and a meeting between senior leaders, leadership team, uh, where there there may be some lower level employees watching and like, what's the balance between conflict and unity between uh, a team? That's a huge question. So conflict, <laughs> no. So it's, no, it's big. Like um, Pat Lencioni in Five Dysfunctions of a Team talks about the fear of conflict and avoidance of further absence of trust and fear of conflict of being the base root of problems inside of companies. So employees need to be okay with conflict and debate as long as the conflict and debate is for the good of the company and it's about the issues, not about the person. So it's just passionately debating and putting our argument forward or putting our points across, but also passionately listening to the other people while they do as well. You can't dominate a meeting just because you have a passionate point. So what we try to do in Meeting Suck is teach people how to get everybody to speak, how to use post-it notes and, and using kind of an exercise to get people to write down their points and then read them out so that everybody gets heard. Try to get the most junior people to speak first so they get heard in the meeting. Um, but passionate engagement and really healthy debate and good healthy conflict is powerful in a meeting. You just have to teach people that that's what we're searching for, but it has to be for the good of the company, not just to prove you're right. And the, the only caveat that I have to that is the CEO and the COO should almost never engage in conflict in the meeting where there's other people present. It's almost like the analogy I would use is like a mom and a dad, 
where they have to have their debate behind closed doors so that in front of the kids, they look like a complete unified team. They can't argue about whether Bobby should be able to go to a party or not. That argument needs to happen in the bedroom or off-site so they come back in with their decision and Bobby sees them as a force. And I think the COO and CEO need to be that true yin and yang balance. We talk a lot about that in a, a podcast that I run called the Second in Command Podcast. And we talk about how the COO and the CEO need to be that truly unified force. So that's the only time I think conflict needs to be kept behind the scenes and in a meeting that they have on a weekly basis for themselves, but not in front of the team or in front of the board. How do you feel about transparency during meetings, especially when you have senior leaders and lower level employees? I love it. In fact, I am actually practicing radical transparency and radical honesty with my children. I I even talked to my 17-year-old about it earlier today. I said (laughs) I would really want encouraging him to ask me every uncomfortable question about any issue, and I will absolutely answer him with, with I love that. And I learned, I learned that at Burning Man again this year. I've gone to Burning Man six times, and um, one of the things I pulled out of Burning Man was that the only way I can expect my children to be honest with me about their fears, drug use, alcohol, girls, whatever, the only way I can expect them to be honest with me is if I'm honest with them. Because otherwise, he's going to think I'm some untouchable human being, right? I want that same radical honesty with my employees. You can only receive it from them if you're willing to give it to them. And that means pure radical transparency that, you know what, I don't know how to do this, but here's how I'm going to try to figure it out. Or here's where I'm going to get help. Or I don't know what I'm doing here. So what do you think? Or I'm a little bit nervous, but let's figure this out together. But if our team tries to see the leader as some like deity or, or deity or uh, like a, a wizard of Oz, at some point you open the curtain and they realize you're not. So you may as well show them you're not the Wizard of Oz because they they all kind of know you're not anyway. In this day and age, we've got technology all around us. We've got smartphones and laptops and tablets, you name it, right? How do you feel about devices during meetings? Are you one of those that says, you know, everybody put it away? Uh, like, what's your stance on devices? You don't take your phone or your laptop into the meeting. You stay focused on what you're there for. Well, meetings, I want to stay focused on the meeting. If you're too busy that you can't stay focused on the agenda for the time that you're there, then go do your other work. And that includes the CEO. If you can't be there for the 15 minutes, 30 minutes or hour or even full day. So what we do is we check our cell phone at the door. When you walk into the room, the cell phone goes in a bowl or on a table. It sits there. When you leave the meeting, you can take it up and walk out with it. But you don't use your phone during the meeting for any purpose whatsoever. You stay focused on the meeting at hand. We run an, we run an event called the COO Alliance, which is the only network that's kind in the world for seconding commands. And at the start of the two-day COO Alliance, all of our COO members, all the second-in-commands who attend, check their phone at the door for two days. Wow. It's powerful. And and everybody's present, right? And and, and if you're so busy, then remove yourself from the room, go to your phone call or check your email, whatever, and then come back in and be present again. So for a note-taker, somebody that's responsible for that or timekeeping, is... Are you just manually keeping it like handwriting notes? Can they have a laptop? Like what's your, what's your stance on that? Or what's the best way to do that? So we've always allowed laptops, but the rule with laptops is that if anybody thinks you're checking email or distracted, they can ask you, you have to instantly stop typing. And I do this with my kids as well. They stop, they move their hands to the side, they turn their laptop around and they show me what they're typing on. Like, trust me, I can see that you've hit control or command tab and you've gone to the next screen, right? Show me, like, so that's what we do in a meeting. Are you checking email? Now, if I called you out and I think you're checking email in a meeting, 
and you turn your laptop and you were checking email, you have to buy lunch for everybody in the meeting. I love that. <laughs> I'm wrong. If, if I called you out, if I called you out on it and you weren't, you were just typing notes, I have to buy lunch for everybody in the meeting. Which kind oh, of, I love it. It just raises a little bit of honesty up in the group, right? In part three of your book, you have basically chapters that cover every type of meeting. And I want people to go get this book for just that reason alone, I think it's it's really sound advice on how to run very particular meetings. For the purpose of this podcast, I want to just cover a couple different areas. Uh, you talk about daily huddle meetings, and you also compare it to an adrenaline meeting for a larger company. Can you compare those two and, and how different they are and where you might use either or? Yeah, so we, we learned about the daily huddle idea from Vern Harnish, who built um, a company, or first book was called Rockefeller Habits, second book is Scaling Up, and he was the start of the entrepreneur's organization. Um, Vern talked about this daily huddle idea where you get all your company together for a seven-minute all-company stand-up meeting, and you do it every single day. So we did ours for seven years that I was at one Without Junk. They're still doing it today. 18 years later, they're still running a daily huddle every day. But the problem with the daily huddle is it starts to break down a little bit with the ability to truly run it organization-wide when you get over about 150 employees, right? So what we did is we started what we call the pre-huddle huddle or an adrenaline meeting. And it's kind of like a sprint or a, um, uh, I guess what you would use in, in um, software development in like a um, agile meeting, right? Where you actually meet for a quick little stand-up. So what we have as our adrenaline meetings would be a business unit would meet. So marketing would meet and they would have a five or a six minute, seven minute stand up meeting for just marketing. And then they might come to the all company meeting, which would be huddle. So that's just a slight difference on it. We just decided to iterate and, and get a little bit more granular. At the adrenaline meeting, we have every person on the team speaks. At the huddle meeting, we have one person from each business area speaks. So the big question for you is, how do you get through a meeting like that in seven minutes? Like what's covered? <laughs> yeah, very tight agenda. And actually, if somebody, if, if you're listening and you want to actually watch or listen to a, uh, a daily huddle, if you go on YouTube and type in daily huddle, 1-800-GOT-JUMP, you'll see our daily huddle from 14 years ago. Um, but it's still exactly the same format we use today. The huddle starts with everyone showing up exactly at time. So if 10.55 is when huddle starts. At 10.53, everyone's computer beeps and alarm goes off because they have a pre-standing calendar appointment in everyone's calendar put, put in there by IT. So at 10.53, your calendar beeps, you get off your phone, you stop your meeting, you finish the interview. Everybody, including interview candidates, business partners, whoever's in the company, comes to the huddle area. Wow. At 10.55, anyone who's trained in running huddle can stand up and run the huddle meeting. And we start off with good news. And we do about 90 seconds of good news, which is projects that just got completed, people's birthdays, you know, anything that's good, customer email that came in. Um, so that's good news. And then we share the key numbers. So every quarter we come up with three new numbers to share that are tied to our quarterly goal and our rocks for the quarter. So we share those daily numbers at huddle and we write them up on a whiteboard so we can see our trend on the three key metrics for the quarter. Then we do what we say, what we call is what does it all mean, which is we show our monthly and quarterly or monthly and yearly revenue trend. So based on the numbers that are happening, what's our trend for the month and for the year. Then we have one business area does their updates. So on Monday, it's marketing, Tuesday, it's finance, Thursday, it's or Wednesday, it's operations, et cetera. We cycle through the core business areas. Each business area does their updates and their updates are what's going well, what's not going well what we're working on for the next two weeks, where we're stuck, and any key positions we're hiring for. 
And then after the business area updates, uh, we do any missing systems or key frustrations. People just point out stuff that they're stuck on, things that aren't going well in the company. We don't solve it at Huddle. We merely point it out and someone says they will own it and they usually take it offline and it gets fixed by the next Huddle meeting or within a couple of weeks. And then we finish off with a cheer, which is just something random from the good news of the day. So it could be, you know, high losses engaged or customer success or, you know, Toronto hitting a goal, whatever. And that becomes the daily cheer. And that's it. That's a seven minute all company stand up meeting. That is a lot to cover in seven minutes. So whoever's running that that huddle needs to definitely keep everybody on on track. That's for sure. Yeah, And that's what we train them in. We train them on how to control the energy, how to cut people off quickly and politely, how to make sure you stay on the agenda. The agenda is written up on the wall over top of everybody's head. So when the huddle master is standing beside the whiteboard where all the numbers are written up, they're looking out at all the employees. At behind all the employees up on the wall is the seven-step system for huddle written up on the wall. That's great. And there's, a, and there's a timer beside them. So they just click the timer and they start watching it and then they just click off the seven items. It's pretty simple. Distributed workforces are, are very common nowadays, especially now that we're so connected through the internet and, and other technology. Um, if, meaning proximity is going to be an issue. People work from home. People work in different locations altogether. Running virtual meetings is going to if not already if companies are doing it, like it's going to become more and more common. So what's the best way to run a virtual meeting versus everybody being in the same room? Yeah. So we do exactly the same format. We use a lot of zoom so people can actually see each other over video. Um, in fact, I coach CEOs globally and that most of them I've never met in person. Uh, and I'll coach their membership teams, leadership teams, CEOs, one-on-one COOs, whatever over video, but we'll have people log into meetings I've even done job interviews. We do group interviews where I'll interview six to eight candidates at the same time. And I'll have six to eight candidates all come into the meeting on Zoom individually. And I'll interview or my team will interview them so we can actually compare the cultural fit of people over video against each other. So we just leverage technology and pretend that they're in person. So if everybody goes and gets your book, they read it, they implement it, they train their people, they run effective meetings what are the outcomes of running really, really effective meetings? Like what, what kind of business results could people see? Well, they're going to leave a review on Amazon. So that's going to be one good result. <laughs> um, the, what, what the results, well, actually, that's even what I suggest is go to Amazon and read some of the reviews of what people are saying about having read Meeting Suck. I think we've got over 100 five-star reviews already. But if you read what they're saying, they're getting, people aren't wasting time. People are working on the critical few things versus the important many. Um, they're controlling the dominant expressive people and they're getting a lot of the quieter, analytical, more annual people to speak at meetings. So people are being heard. Uh, they're actually getting more done in less time faster. Those would be some of the big ones. I think you'd, you'd also really control your, your ROI because you don't have people showing up at meetings they just don't want to be at. Okay, leave listeners with an action item. Besides going to get your book and reading this cover to cover, what's one thing that they can take back to their organization, whether it's something regarding training people how to run meetings, uh, tactics they can use in a meeting? Like, what, what, Where would you have people start? This will spin you a little bit, but it has nothing, <laughs> to, do, it, it has nothing to do with meetings at all. It's that none of this actually matters. You know, the reality is none of us are getting out of this alive. We are all walking each other home. And this couldn't be more poignant uh, for me today than, than I had a, um, an acquaintance of mine who is part of the entrepreneurs organization and three other entrepreneurs were killed uh, Sunday night in a helicopter accident. Oh my gosh. 
and Brandon Stapper, who is a friend, um, was killed. His girlfriend was there when his helicopter went down and theirs didn't. And I think about someone who is working so hard and driving so hard. And, you know, when the reality is none of this matters, man, like this is just what we do to make money. And I think if we can have fun and laugh a little bit and treat people with respect and remember that everybody that we work with is struggling in some way today, that if we can just be there to support them and be their friend, that they'll go through brick walls for us. And I think that if we can just kind of surrender into the humanity of business a little bit and have some fun with it, we're going to be way more successful than just drive, drive, drive all the time. That is well said, Cameron. I am glad you ended with that. Cameron, Harold, been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Your, your book is Meetings Suck. Uh, you've got several other books. Where can people learn more about you, your work, your speaking, anything that you want to point people to? Sure. Thanks, Brennan. Um, so yeah, all five of my books are available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. And I would encourage everyone, like we said, with Meetings Suck to get a copy of it for every employee. My newest book is called Free PR, which is talking about how to leverage free, free press and how to get publicity about your company and your brand. And it's super strong. And then the Second in Command podcast, I would just tell people to go and listen to the Second in Command podcast that it's really, everyone seems to be interviewing the entrepreneur and I wanted the rest of the story. Awesome, Cameron. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Appreciate it, Brandon. Thanks for having me. Hey, thank you so much for listening to today's episode featuring Cameron Harold, author of Meetings Suck. Please go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, and make sure to subscribe so you get our weekly episodes as they release. Also, follow Zenium on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to make sure that you get all relevant content as it comes out. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Talk to you next week.